and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Uh, so, here's the thing. I'm trying to fix my sleep schedule because it got really out of whack with me being out of work right now. So, uh, let's see, what is it? We A little peek behind the curtain. We record normally on Wednesdays, and uh, on Monday... Or Sunday night, I stayed up till four thirty, so I woke up at like four, because um, I had no reason to get up. And then I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go to sleep early tonight and take some like melatonin." But then I ended up hanging out with Woundvog uh, until like three a.m. And I went, "All right, if I go to sleep now, it's gonna be more the same. So I'm just gonna stay up through the whole night and have tomorrow be the next day." So I stayed up for twenty six hours, which is the longest I've ever been awake. I've never been able to stay up a full day before. So then last uh, last night, then I went to sleep at 7 p.m. because I was falling asleep on the couch. And then I woke up at 1 a.m. and couldn't get back to sleep. So I've been awake since then, and we record in the evenings. So I, I took a three-hour nap in the middle of the day. But the point is, I feel weird. Like, the point of this entire diatribe is that my body is like, what the hell are you doing to me? And I haven't fixed it yet. Yeah, I was going to say, I used to have a weird sleep schedule like that. It destroys you. No, never again. Yeah, like I said, I'm just trying to fix it right now. But, ugh. <laughs> I'm getting the Homer Simpson thing. You just keep hitting it with the hammer. Why won't you work? <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? Ah, uh, pissed at Amazon because they and I have very different understandings of what two-day shipping is. Mm, I understand that. I, I'm pissed at yeah. Amazon because um, I can't get into my account. <laughs> so that <laughs> it's such a modern problem, but it is so incredibly frustrating. Yeah, like, I, I want to be able to use one password for everything, but I know that for obvious reasons, that's not a good idea. Well, I also have a, a major paranoia about where my name is online. So unless it's like for something official or work related or government related, I don't use my real name, but I don't apparently remember the exact name i used for amazon so i can't recover my password even yeah see that's this terrible we live in but anyways i uh saw the outlaw king this weekend oh was it i remember we talked before i mentioned that i had heard it was basically a more boring but more historically accurate version of braveheart isn't it i wouldn't call it more boring i thought it was really good I have a couple problems with it, and that's not with the movie. It's more just how we structure these things. And I talked about it a bit on Twitter, but uh, my favorite thing is the battle scenes are just these bloody, dirty brawls. Yeah. Instead of, you know, this epic choreographed, you know, nonsense. Well, it's more realistic, certainly. Yeah, and it feels real brutal. And it's a good movie, but here's the thing I don't get. We live in a time where franchises can have like six sequels. So why are we still limiting, you know, these prestige history films to one movie when these person had, you know, 80 year lifespans? Uh, I don't have an, you know, I don't think there's a reason that makes sense. I mean, generally speaking, historically, trying to make sequels to prestige films doesn't work. I think there aren't that many examples, but every example I can think of is like not great. I mean, okay. A recent kind of example would be uh, Sicario and its sequel. And admittedly, those are based on his books, but the 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 second one lost like, like all of the kind of seriousness and intrigue and layers that made the first one interesting, partially by getting rid of a yeah main character. But I don't know. Um, well, that's I mean, the thing. 
is like with historical films, you can literally break their lives up because this is the story of Robert the Bruce, for those of you who don't know. And they don't, they just like scratch the surface of his life. They don't get to his big climactic battles. They don't get to his later life. They don't get to his eventual death. There's like, you have a whole roadmap of stories you can keep telling and characters you can keep developing. So why is it when we are sequels have lost the stigma of being bad, you're going, okay, we're just going to cram all this into one movie and then we're going to end the movie with text. And this person went on to do this and this and this. Why not show that to me in a movie? Well, I suppose also like I, I think, and I don't know the movie business well enough to say this for sure, but I think prestige films aren't, the kind of like money-making juggernauts that really drive like desirement for sequels they're made to win awards but winning awards doesn't automatically make you money winning awards just means like is basically padding resumes for the people involved in it so they can get different kind of work later yeah and And i thought about that but the other thing with a historical movie is if you break it up you know appropriately you can do just one movie but if your movie's successful then you have room for a sequel they kind of cap themselves off because this one ends with, you know, and then Robert the Bruce went on to do this. And then his general went on to do this. Like, why are you, this is sequel material you could use. I wouldn't say that they cut it off. I get what you're saying totally, but I'm always reminded of how at the end of God of War one, the narrator literally says, and then on throughout the rest of time, whenever men went off to battle, they did so under the watchful eye of Kratos, the man who had defeated a God, thus capping his story at the natural conclusion. And then they, made a sequel that and another sequel and, and then another sequel which is actually pretty good yes and then, then they finally made like a, a great god of war game recently but the point is that they they did that thing where they're like okay and here's the rest of this character story and then they made a sequel and they're like there don't worry about that yeah but i mean kratos that's one man's story i mean he had a mini beginning to end. and i'm not saying like do this for everybody because like alexander the great you got 33 years that you can tell that in a single story Robert the Bruce, you got like 60 years. There's plenty of story to be told. Or even, you know, big historical epics. Like, why are you trying to break down an entire, you know, period into one small movie? Well, in general, as you pointed out before, they don't make a whole lot of historical period pieces anymore. No, and I want more, damn it. (laughs) Well, of course, you're, you know, what's the word? Let's say uh, an appreciator of history. How much did Dunkirk make? Uh, well, that was also Christopher Nolan, right? Um, yeah. But anyway, we've gone on long enough. This actually. I just wanted to talk, to talk about, about that because I wasn't going to think of any other opportunity to bring it up. About, well, you could have put it in the suggestions of the week. But anyway, um, what are we talking about today, man? We're going to do something a bit different. We're going to talk. We're going to do kind of a shout out for uh, YouTubers we like. And we're doing that not to draw attention to ourselves, but because... As we've stated many, 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 many times before, the YouTube algorithm right now is broken. So we're going to do our part to do what YouTube should do, but doesn't. We're going to show, you know, turn you on to some interesting YouTube channels. But before we do that, let's do talk about our patrons, the people that make this possible. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. These folks, you know, make it so the fact that YouTube doesn't give a shit about us makes it possible, these people. And they are Pam Galley, Marquis, and Orion McCann. Now, I would say at the beginning of every episode, it's 25 cents an episode to make this, you know, podcast. That is how much you can give us to help us. And it adds up. And like I said, YouTube does not give a shit. So we have to put in all the extra work and it is their contributions that that labor is, you know, actually paid off a bit. 
So since Yuji doesn't give a shit, um, there's a restriction in this particular discussion, right? Like, I mean, my favorite YouTubers are people like Game Grumps, but Game Grumps have over a million subscribers, so they don't need any help or any shout-outs. So we wanted to limit this to, what, under 300,000 or 400,000? Something like I think that? it was like 500,000 we said. We wanted to get the medium tier. People that, you know, are being hurt most by the YouTube's re-algorithmization, or whatever word you want to call it. I like uh, culling. That feels like what YouTube would do. <laughs> culling, all right. Or a pogrom, but that's more of a thing than an actual event. Yeah. Okay, well then, um, tell us about one. Well, you're going to notice a trend as I go into this one. I, as I've said before, love Warhammer. Warhammer 40k, Warhammer Fantasy, pretty much anything Warhammer. So I'm going to start with my go-to for Warhammer Fantasy, uh, Loremaster of Sotek. Loremaster yeah. of Sotek, that's S-O-T-E-K? Yes. All right. Now, I stumbled onto him because, also as many of you know, I'm a huge fan of the Warhammer Total War games. And I knew it was set in the old Warhammer Fantasy, but I didn't know any of the lore. And he, you know, like a bunch of them came out and they said, hey, we're going to do, you know, dedicated lore channels on all of this old stuff. And that's what it does. It's one part, you know, old Warhammer Fantasy lore, one part, you know, talking about the news coming out the games, one part epic battles. He does a great job and it's very well produced because as you've noted before, there are literal hundreds of Warhammer lore channels out there on YouTube, but the quality ranges greatly. Yeah, I remember that when I was first starting to get into Warhammer, I tried to find like just a decent summation of like orc lore in general. And I found a bunch of people who put out videos like that, but their presentations were terrible. They had Bad, I mean, I'm not one to talk about bad audio quality. I only just got a decent mic. But point is, though, that, like, yeah, they they had no energy. They were very monotonous. And they had – I'm not going to call out anyone specifically, but I was like, why can't there be one decent, like, just set of videos to teach me about Warhammer stuff? Yeah, and that's his thing. I mean, he started out, you know, pretty – general run of the mill you know not great auto quality kind of short episodes but he's really refined his uh video making and the best thing is he's a fan he is passionate about this and you know he is my go-to suggestion for hey i want to learn more you know warhammer old fantasy lore who do i go with i go lore master sotek one the guy has the energy he cares about it two he knows it like he is you know bought the old codexes and battle tomes one and three if even if you aren't interested in the lore he has enough gaming content to kind of keep you engaged and interested it's funny i have a I have this opinion that every decent sized game should have its own bard is what i call it like for instance yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of the soul series and vati vidya is known as like the lore master on youtube of of uh, soul stuff but i don't need to promote him he's got <laughs> 1.2 million subscribers but uh anyway so this uh sotek guy um does he like when he does his videos, what is the scope? Does he just cover like, uh, here's a book in summation, or here's a event in summation, or here's a species? In He's summation? got it in couple parts. I mean, typically he focuses like his main start was he focused around uh, characters that were going to be in the game. Like for example, you know, the game started out, there was eight faction leaders, mm -hmm. and he started by breaking down all their lore, going beginning to end, who they were you know, what they did, what they're known for, their weapons, how they can be implemented in the game. And then this is why I really like him, is he talked about the end times, which is a dirty word in the Warhammer community. Mm. 
Okay. For those of you who don't know, that was essentially Games Workshop, the company that you know produces Warhammer and Warhammer 40K, went, okay, listen, we are not making money on this fantasy license, and we've written ourselves into a corner. Let's blow it up and start over. Ah. Yeah. Parts of it were not well written, and that's the thing. But the biggest thing is people are just mad their toys got taken away from them. Mm. But he even goes in and he covers, okay, and this is what happened to character you know during the end times so that's really interesting like oh, okay cool that's what happened to this guy and he's recently got a really great series which is really good it's as much as i love these you know warhammer games they're not perfect they have flaws mm-hmm. so he started a series where he goes race by race and goes okay these are the things that i think could be changed should be added and here's a couple things from the lore that I want, you know, I think would make the game better. And the really cool thing is Creative Assembly, the people that make the games, have gone back in and started implementing a lot of the changes he's suggested. Now, the main reason he's my go-to guy for, you know, Warhammer lore, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this, he sticks to the topic. Like, when he's talking about, let's say, the Lizardmen, which is his favorite race, he's talking about it like he was teaching a class on it. He's not, I got a lot of people, I got a lot of different guys I like, to but some of them they just put it a little bit you know they add some slang or some stuff that kind of takes me out of it makes it kind of weird or reminds me that they're so much younger than me and just the way they talk about it and it's like listen i am here for lore and i view lore like history and the last thing i want is you talking about alexander the great's quote-unquote hose they were called concubines use the correct terminology <laughs> so yeah and like i said the gaming content is great you is know. there? Oh, hold on, hold on. So, generally speaking, if we're going to be talking about YouTubers, there should be a um, like one video or one playlist to recommend first to like have someone like, hey, I, you know, you don't know what this is, but maybe try this out and see if you like this guy's style. Do, do you have something for that? That's kind of tricky. The best way I've been able to turn people on this channel is I got Slagathor into it because I found out what faction of Warhammer they like and they want to learn more. And I say, okay, go watch his blank playlist. For example, her preferred faction is the Tomb Kings, which are these Egyptian-themed, you know, guys with giant stone constructs of death. And I said, okay, he's got a whole series talking about their army and their people. Go watch that stuff. You'll like that. Or, you know, if you like Dark Elves, he's got a Dark Elf playlist. He's pretty much got all the major factions are covered. And now he's kind of, you know, filling in the gaps of other stuff. Because that's the other thing I like about him. He doesn't do just strict lore. He's also talked about, you know, other aspects of the lore. Like, uh, what was one of them that was really good? Oh, he talked about the role of women in, you know, the Warhammer fantasy world. And how it's unique in the sense that, you know, unlike a lot of uh, medieval fantasy grounded ones, women are very restricted in their roles. And he made a whole episode talking about that. Well, that's kind of the case in somewhat, but in this race, in this race, in this race, you know, they have warrior women just the right song alongside their men. Like I said, the best thing about him is it's in-depth. You feel like you're getting a history lecture, which is what I want from my lore. (laughs) True. Uh, I, okay. It's funny because there are different styles, right? Like I said, mentioned body video his um material is less like being taught a lesson and more like like i said i call him the bard for a reason because he has this musicality to his voice this like timber that when he's doing a video it feels like i'm sitting in a you know a circle with like someone you know with maybe like a guitar like singing a song that also happens to be teaching me shit so just a matter of preference that's why i was asking like about style earlier yeah like i said it really comes down to what you're looking for 
in your, you know, lore videos? Do you want details? Do you want it to be clinical? Do you want it to be passionate? How much do you want to know? Do you want to know how many toes each, you know, creature of each race has? Hmm. I mean, that's the kind of my bread and butter. Hmm. All right, all right. So uh, look at any... my go-to. Now, right, you have any uh, closing thoughts on him? Yeah. His videos are long. They're not going to be, his videos run between 45 minutes to an hour and a half. So these are not, you know, short pick up and listen to videos, but they are great. You know, I treat them like podcasts when I'm, you know, doing something where I'm listening to a podcast, I put on his, you know, one of his episodes and listen and go, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, if you want, if you were into, if you were into the uh, Total War Warhammer games or old Warhammer fantasy, you want to know more Lore Master Sotek, that's my go-to. <laughs> All right, all right. Uh, so, for me, when you said, "All right, let's do a YouTube episode and look at you know the the lower subscribed people," I looked at all my subscriptions, and most of them are big ones. So I was like, mm, "All right," but then I noticed that I literally have at least one subscription that I think is criminally undersubscribed, like uh, which is a, a, a channel called Potholer Fifty Four. I know that's a a weird name. <laughs> Sounds kind of like a sex act, to be honest with you. Yeah, but really, it's just one guy. Uh, Peter Hadfield is his name, and he's a how to put this. He's a journalist, but he's been a journalist for decades. Like he's been a journalist since like the the eighties or something like that. But he was specifically a scientific journalist. So what I love about his channel and why I think he's criminally undersubscribed is there are dozen more than dozen hundreds thousands whatever there are tons of channels of people online who claim to be you know like scientific or maybe not even scientific but they're their takedown they take something and they criticize it like i don't know, like the armored skeptic is uh, a well-known one for instance but what i don't like about most of those guys is they'll just basically give their problems give their criticisms and that's it. It's usually just this kind of entertaining, like, okay, here's what why I don't think this is correct. Here's why this is stupid, blah, blah, blah. But what Peter Hatfield does is because he was a journalist for years, his entire philosophy is about the importance of peer-reviewed work and first sources. So when he's taking apart an idea or a video or something, he always shows where in the actual scientific literature, the peer-reviewed scientific literature, the the reason why whatever he's criticizing is stupid is stupid, you know? Yeah. So, and he's so like, he hates the blog nature of how information is spread currently. Like time and time again, he points out how like, Oh, here's this post that's going viral. Let's uh, saying that like, you know, some new study came out proving that climate change is fake or something like that. All right, let's go look at the, the post. All right, here's where it sort it cites this source. Let's follow the source. Oh, it's a blog. Okay, where's the blog say? And then you'll find, all right, what source does it cite? All right, finally get to, it, it cites a different blog, right? Like the this clickbaity kind of news that a lot of this stuff has come into where there's a big flashy headline and then a wall of unsubstantiated text. Yeah, but then you keep following it back. You eventually get paper that they pulled this line from essentially and you realize that pretty much 99% of the time they've pulled one line from a paper that completely out of context that if you read the actual paper says the exact opposite of like what they, these people are saying right so he, his whole philosophy then is whenever you see something like that you follow it through its sources to the peer-reviewed literature right it's 
that is what is paramount because that's really the only way we can know scientific information is through peer review literature. There's a reason oh, yeah. the peer review system exists. I hate the ones, and there's a certain Facebook page that's notorious for this. I won't name names. Who they'll have a big flashy, you know, article header, and then you go and read it, and you walk away going, "That was nothing. That was just well, the study suggests that maybe possibly you didn't tell me anything." Hmm. Yeah, I so, hate it. so the way the Potterless Channel does then it's split into a few different things, but he originally got on my radar because what he'll do is if some video or some article goes viral that says something that is junk science or goes against the commonly accepted um, or well-known like scientific ideas, then he's like, all right, well, let's investigate it. And he'll just do a video, usually like a 10 to 15 minute breakdown of here's what they said, here's what uh, source they pulled from, and here's why it is or is not correct, or here's why it is or is not interpreted correctly. And it's very it's very clinical. He used that word before. Like he's very surgical about how he pulls apart a lot of this bullshit. And I love it. And yeah, even by his own, but even by his own philosophy, he says, don't take him as like the source either. Like check things he says. That's why he always lists like all of the papers well, that, you know, reference. We live in an era of misinformation. Exactly. That's so that's, weird. When you think about, we have this great access to information. Yeah, it's because we live in an era of false information. And that's why I'm saying that I think it's so important because his entire philosophy is you follow that shit through, you see where their sources are. And if someone doesn't cite their sources, then it's probably bullshit. So. Yeah, and sometimes it's nice to have someone do that for you because a lot of times it is so time-consuming to go through. And I think that's kind of the problem is, you know, it is so, well, it's not going to say it's hard to fact-check people because... I do it on Facebook all the time. So many articles you read, you just type into Google and Google's like, yeah, this is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like so much, sometimes like this is a great example. Like you click on this article and like, Oh, this sounds from where they cite it. And you're going through five or six pages to find out that this was funded by Bud Light, you know, uh, <laughs> university. That's not a legitimate, you know, scientific <laughs> university, but you had to go through five separate tabs to get there. So at that point, you're like, you know what? I totally believe spam is made of ostrich. That's fine. I don't yeah. care anymore. And, that, and that, that's back this basic problem of blogs using other blogs as sources when really the only sources that should work are first sources when it comes to like, you know, talking to actual experts and of course checking whether they're actual experts or the peer-reviewed literature, which is where the most important is, is the peer-reviewed literature. Like the, the first video I saw of Potholer was um, uh, Stephen Crowder did some video where he was like, oh, I'm debunking some climate change stuff. And so then Potholer was like, all right, let's look at your arguments. And basically like Stephen Crowder made like six or seven arguments three or four of which have actually nothing to do with the climate change science. So and Potholer points that out and then it's like, okay, and then here's, here's this graph that you looked at, but here's the, why this is, doesn't work. And here's the paper you're citing, but that that paper itself disagrees with what you're saying, like that kind of stuff. Um, Did you see that Colorado is getting ready to host the world's first flat earther convention? <laughs> oh, complete geez. with keynote speakers about how the earth is flat uh, this is why potholder needs more his um he's got this and, and okay he's very dry he's british i think no he's australian i'm pretty sure um and he's very dry in his delivery but he's also got that kind of dry wit like he's got a whole series where he just takes on 
very well-known creationist guys and creationist people. And uh, he's got this one video where he's showing this this creationist talk about how carbon dating is bullshit. Uh, when oh. really, yeah, so Potholer is pointing out why that argument is bullshit. But the the creationist at one point is like, oh, if we carbon date this fossil, you know, when it says it's like 14 million years old, and then like Potholer pauses it and goes, you know, actually carbon only has a half-life of blah, blah, blah. So if it's that old, there's no carbon in it. So if you asked me to carbon date it, I'd be like, hey, I can't carbon date this. There's no fucking carbon in it. There so. was a documentary, quote-unquote, on Netflix I saw a while back. Like, I was sick of the dogs on Netflix, and it was called The Bible versus Science. And this shows how piss-poor Netflix's algorithm is because suggested for you is, like, all right, Netflix, I want to see what this is. And it opens up with, the science tells us one thing, but the Bible tells us another. Now, who can we trust? And I don't want to be an asshole, but science has proven. It's got, you know, hey, here's my credentials. Here's what I have shown you. What's the Bible got? Well, so Potholer's most famous series is he's got a whole series about climate change. Like, a lot of videos uh, going through talking about, like, you know, various common arguments and what the actual science is and why people like um, uh, Moncton, who's a famous climate change i don't know what the word is it's denier. funny because he uh denier sure but i don't like that word it's very adversarial but skeptic isn't yeah. either because people who call themselves skeptics don't realize that all scientists by their very nature are supposed to be skeptics science is about oh, yeah and there's nothing wrong with being skeptic i'm fine with that but i am more like when people lay down proof in front of you and you're going i don't buy it what do you mean you don't buy it i don't trust your sources my source is fucking <laughs> yale doesn't count. And so, I've had that argument. I've had someone tell me that a study published by Yale doesn't count. Well, okay, in all fairness, again, that is, uh, that's kind of an authority fallacy. Um, just because Yale publishes it doesn't mean that, like, you'd want to make sure that, that paper was also published in, like, um, a, uh, you know, an actual peer-reviewed I agree, journal, but they didn't so. get that far. They just said Yale didn't count. And I asked why. Because they don't. Because it was counter to their argument. And that's what pisses me off. It's like, listen, if you want to say my argument doesn't count, that's fine. But come at me with some backup of why my argument doesn't count. I came at you with why your argument doesn't count. Here are five articles saying why your argument doesn't count. Yeah, well, like, it, it's funny because watching these, these videos of his where he goes through and, you know, deals with these climate change arguments actually taught me a lot about climate change I didn't know. Like, for instance, I didn't know that the actual... Uh, science of the mechanical operation of, cli of climate change. I'm not talking about the effects of it, just the mechanical, physical operation of carbon atoms react this way to long and short form radiation, and sun long and short form radiation behaves this way with Earth crust. Like, that's just very basic physics, but that's been understood and known since before 1900, since like 1880 was the first uh, peer reviewed scientific paper on it right so like we've understood how that works for over a hundred years <laughs> and okay. most darwin was sailing the world in the 1800s and going i got this theory here called evolution and people like nope doesn't make sense monkeys <laughs> okay in all fairness the darwin's theory actually caught on like wildfire in his lifetime um but i know i'm just point. saying we are you know a couple hundred years on and there's still people arguing against it yeah, I, okay, you, that is a good point. But you get my point that, like, now, whenever I 
uh, well, I don't really get into political arguments anymore, but if I get in an argument with someone about like climate change, I want them to point out to me where in the physical effects or the, the physical me mechanism of climate change is wrong. Do they disagree that carbon reacts the way it does with long and short form radiation? Do they disagree that there is a higher percentage of carbon in the atmosphere? It's like, show me the point where you disagree with this. So, but anyway, like I just, you know, learn all that kind of you know neat stuff. And uh, he's, like I said, he's pretty funny about it too. He's also got a few other, like, um, he's got a Made Easy series where he's just like, hey, let's pick a scientific topic and give you kind of like a, a little crash course on it. Like one of his popular ones is History of the Universe Made Easy, which is very broad, of course. But uh, I'm just happy it, to see YouTube being having an educational purpose instead of unboxing videos, which I still don't understand. Yeah. If someone in the comments understands the appeal of unboxing videos, please let me know. I'm deeply confused. I think the appeal of unboxing videos is like, Kind of like the appeal of a slot machine. I mean, the the reward you're getting is not monetary. It's the same kind of Skinner box psychology, though. But I'm not doing the unboxing. I'm watching someone else unbox. Okay, but that's that. You got to remember that that argument doesn't work because there are tons of things that it's like I'm not doing it. I'm watching someone. Well, I was gonna say it. the porn argument immediately comes to mind, but oh, even I sports, don't see how right? porn relates to unboxing. I, okay, okay I, I can draw. I can, I can draw a line. Yeah, I mean that's the classic one. Like I watch esports uh, plenty of times. And it's like you could be playing. It's like, well, I do play. I just also like watching someone else play. And then it's like you, right, you know everyone that knows he's going to call bullshit on the I watch sports, right? No, no, I said I watch esports. Oh, I just heard sports. I'm like everyone's going to call a bullshit that knows you. Like you don't watch sports. He means porn. No, no, this is this is exactly <laughs> my point. I'm saying that I watch. And someone's like, why would you watch someone play a video game? And I'm like, well, you watch football, but you don't actually play football. So, it, you know, it's just a similar kind of thing. I'm not saying it's just watching someone do something. has a, There's a psychology there. So, yeah, no, I was just, I'm, I'm baffled by the popularity of unboxing videos. I anyway, don't... my point uh, to, to kind of conclude here with a potholder, like I said, Peter Hatfield, uh, He's been in the business a long time. He's very skilled at what he does. It's funny because I've seen several times him get into these debates because he'll call out someone's like junk science and they usually get really defensive because, you know, that's Psychology. how it works. Yeah. And so Hatfield will say like, all right, you want to do a debate? We can do a debate. But Hatfield's style of debate is old school, right? Like today, when you think of a debate, um, you think of either a personal debate where it's just basically two people yelling at each other, or you think of like a professional debate where two people just put their sides like out, like, you know, politics where they're not really debates. What Hatfield does is he's like, okay, if we're going to have a debate, we're going to have it proper here. What are the exact topics? Give me a bullet point of like the six things we're going to talk about as specific as you can. And that way, I can prepare and research and know what we're going to talk about. This is not going to be some off the cuff crap. So what happens is when he gets in these debates, he'll get this like person on the other side who will just start going through like their science essentially. And then it will cut to, or then we'll go to potholder. Who's like, okay, you, you cited this source. Um, but if we go and look at the actual paper, it says this, which is different from what you're saying it says. And he'll just, he'll just rip people apart like that. Like, See, the minute you said old school debate, I imagine two guys, you know, beating each other over the head with clubs. <laughs> no, no. I say the sun is a god. I say the demigod. And then whoever has the biggest stick and the thickest skull wins. What's also funny is that I've seen, like, remember I said that I got onto him with the Steven Crowder thing? 
Well, Crowder got all upset about the video he made, so he challenged um, he challenged Potholder to a debate that ended up never happening because, like, he basically wouldn't uh, he wouldn't make time properly for Potholder because Potholder's in like Australia, right? So he's in a different time zone. And then it was funny because I watched him say like he tried to mock Potholder for wanting the bulleted list of like what they're going to talk about, uh, and it's like. Yeah, because you just want to yell at him. You don't want to actually have a debate. And basically, like, everyone who followed this this nonsense for, like, a couple months where Crowder kept changing the the date on him and stuff was like, man, it's, it seems like he's just scared to debate him at this point. But anyway, I don't, I'm don't. not here to, like, crap on Steven Crowder or these guys' fans, whatever. I'm just saying that I really like how Potholder goes about his, his work, about how he's – the focus on first sources and peer review is so important to me. So that now, like – when uh when I try to when I read a story that's what I do I go and find the first source when um when the election happened last year I spent the first two months just reading every bit of first like source material I could as in like I'd read the executive orders myself and not just read what someone else said they do you know and then that became crippling depressing and yeah I stopped doing it because it became too much like a second job so <laughs> understandable no so I'm curious I noticed this the other day. And it's kind of positive. But the whole collapse of Channel Awesome and that whole thing seems to have led to... I don't know if this is already happening, but I've noticed it. But it's kind of led to a death of the YouTube critic, which is a character who just picks something and makes bad jokes about why it's bad. Well, I think in general, yeah, we want something more concrete now, right? Like, Well... What I mean is I'm seeing more like, hey, this thing is bad, and these are the reasons why it's actually bad. Not I'm looking to make jokes about things that aren't really, you know, okay, that's kind of bad, but not really, or there's nothing wrong with that. No, we're seeing more like, okay, this movie was bad, and here's why. And even more so, I'm seeing a lot more positive, like, this movie is good, and this is why. I, I agree with you with one glaring exception, which is obviously CinemaSins that I do not like. CinemaSins is just nitpicking put into a fucking art form, and I'm not a fan of it. But anyway. I'm uh, not gonna get into, I don't understand the CinemaSins debate, and I don't really want to get into it that much because yeah, I don't my point really is, understand it. When I, I like my criticism to be you know, well thought out, nuanced, explained. I like – I watch – okay, if I watch a critic, especially – scene the reason for doing it is so i can see someone else's way of thinking about something and i can kind of like think about all right i think about this way they think about this way uh how much of what they think do i actually agree with and you know it helps me kind of update evolve my own thoughts and i think it makes me more sophisticated you know viewer so i want my criticism to be nuanced right i'm not even that detail oriented it's more just like we've moved away from the nostalgia critic where this is something that may or may not be good. Let's find jokes about it. And more into, we still get the, kind of the character jokey thing, but it's more like these are things people are passionate about and care about. And I kind of attributed that to the death of Channel Awesome has led to people stop trying to chase the nostalgia critic mold. And it's like, I'm going to find what works for me. Yeah, sure. Anyway, to to conclude up, um, I just want to say again, it's potholer54. Pot as in a pot you put stuff in. Hole uh as in a hole in the ground and then with an r i don't know what a holer is but and then the number 54 uh, device used to create holes all right so yeah p-o-t-h-o-l-e-r 54 all lowercase no spaces now just to make sure if we're promoting youtubers might as well put out the exact names so people look it up he needs a better youtube handle uh i don't know it works for me 
<laughs> well, I just feel like, you know, no context is either a sex act or, you know, a porn site. And I feel like people are going to be very displeased if they stumble across this, ooh, black holes. Wait, this isn't what I thought it was. <laughs> now I know about Newtonian physics, damn it. Anyway, so uh, after my education, after my education on science and peer review and your education Warhammer, what's next? I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess and say something else Warhammer related. Yep, more Warhammer. This is my 40k go-to guy. Uh, Tactica Imperialis. And I'm guessing that, that, that would be... You know what? Instead of just spelling it out, we'll put, all, we'll put the things in the doobly-doo. Yep, that's going to be the easiest way to do it. Uh, no, fun fact for you know people in 40k, Tactica Imperialis is the tactical guide of the Imperium of how to kill everything in the universe. Wow. Yep, they've got a, like, a little handbook, like, you're fighting orcs. Here's how you kill orcs. Uh, uh, I mean, that sounds like something that actually would exist. Yep. No, I stumbled upon his channel when I first started watching uh, the great uh, Warhammer pod- podcast, um, Adeptus Podcastus, and he was one of the three hosts. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, I didn't watch any of his other stuff outside of, you know, the podcast, because I had already had a uh, 40K lore channel called vaults of terra and they're still good go check them out but i think they've since stopped uploading Hmm. so you know i'm like well i'm already subscribed let's see what you have and he has a similar thing to lore master of sotek except every week it's a new thing of warhammer be it a new faction be it a new character be it something Mm -hmm. and again much like lore master of sotek he goes in depth and Great, solid content. And what I like about him, which is, again, we've talked about, everyone does an orc video. Like, you know, if you're doing 40K, you're going to talk about orc. And he's got one, too. But not everyone does a video on the Lamenters or the Silver Skulls or some of these more obscure, you know, factions. Okay. And the other reason I like him, and I'm going to, you know, of course, kick the hornet's nest, but people are going to tell you, if you're looking at 40K, go watch Arch Warhammer. And... Arch Warhammer is everything that is wrong with Warhammer. Hands down. He is xenophobic. He is misogynistic. He is an asshole. Mm. And most of his videos are just Warhammer's doing something new and I don't like it. He's (laughs) one of the three topics that you do not discuss in any Warhammer because it will cause a divide. And I know I've made my enemies, but I want to firmly plant my flag on fuck that guy. Mm. All right. It's funny, uh, you tend to take a lot more stances to, like, you court uh, anger a lot more than I do, I think. <laughs> yeah, I anyway, am so, okay with that. So same, so same kind of question. Uh, what kind of style is this uh, Tactus Imperius? Like, how is it presented? Uh, he does, he's since moved away, but how he started was he wrote himself a character who's traveling through the Warhammer universe, you know, writing, not really a book, but writing a log on, I'm going to sit out and explore the entire Warhammer universe, and I'm going to learn everything I can about all these various factions. Mm-hmm. And he's since moved away from that a little bit, but the thing is still there. Like, it goes, all right, this week I'm visiting this planet, home of these people, and this is all the information I have. It's kind of like a nature documentary, in a sort. Well, it sounds more like a, like a travel guide, like you'd get when you're going to another country, right? Sort of. I mean, travel, I mean... <laughs> I've never watched a travel guide to Germany that told me about, you know, Angela Merkel's upbringing and how many she killed with her bare hands, though. That might get me to visit Germany a lot. <laughs> I right. mean, that, that would be intriguing. But yeah, no, more... It's again, his is an in-depth dive, and the reason I go to him 
over, you know, so many other, because there are a lot of 40K, you know, uh, videos out there, is because he's going to do the obscure stuff. Like I said, I have learned about chapters and factions of 40K I knew nothing about. Um, right. Can you give us a um, a somewhat obscure one that he has a good video on that'd be a good recommendation? Like, hey, check out this video of this guy to see if you like him. Uh, he just did a really good one on the Silver Skulls. Silver Skulls. Okay. Yep. It's a Space Marine chapter I knew of by name, but really didn't know anything else about them. So what's something you learned from him? Well, I learned that, you know, despite what I thought, they actually are uh, successors to the Ultramarines. Mm. They are super superstitious. They use something called the Emperor's Tarot, which is this, you know, um, kind of pseudo fortune telling thing. But basically... If the tarot says they're going to win this battle, they will not run away. They will die to the last man. Ah, so. But if the tarot says you're going to lose, they go, sorry, we're fucking off. Mm, so using superstition to essentially embolden their uh, their soldiers. or It's not emboldened. It's like, okay, we're going to fight and die here. There's only three of us. Doesn't matter. The cards say we're going to win, so we're going to win. Uh, I mean, that's, that's basically using superstition to manipulate army and populace. That's been a successful tactic in real world history. Yeah, and like I said, it was really interesting because, and I mean, the fact that they were, you know, Ultramarine successors, I kind of have a problem with that one, because for the longest time, they were said, they were believed to be, you know, derived from trader gene seed that were somehow loyal, and that was kind of fun, but now Games Workshop's going along and saying, no, there are, you know, all the trader factions are trader factions, there are no, you know, offshoots of good factions from the trader factions. Well, that's more really ambiguity good. makes for a good story. Yeah, and he did a really good uh, first one I watched. He did a whole three-part video on one of his favorite Tau characters that actually got me interested in the Tau. <laughs> I know that you had an issue with the Tau. They're just they're an anime mech army that does nothing but shoot and run away. Okay, mechanically, I definitely see the... I play Orc, and I know that if I play Tabletop, big thing is get up close and hit them with your choppas, but uh, and Tau are literally the opposite of that, so I'm sure I'd have the same uh, well, they suck this edition, and part of my other hatred came from last edition, when it was just, someone put down Tau across from me, like, oh, I'm just going to pack my army away now, this, this this isn't going to go anywhere. They were <laughs> so ridiculously, brokenly overpowered, and ironically, orcs were, you know, terrible, and now the script is flipped, and orcs are dominating this edition, Yay. and Tau are like, oh, I'll just put my army away. <laughs> Like, they just dropped the new Orc Codex, and it's incredible. Uh, um, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. No, he also does, on top of his, you know, lore videos, he does my thoughts on, you know, news that's coming out. and kind of helps, because right now, Games Workshop, the new, they've embraced uh, social media like never before. So there's all sorts of news articles and rumors coming out, you know, almost daily. And he's really good about going, hey, here's this gluttony of information we just got dropped. Here's what I think about this in a very interesting, you know, manner. And he's also, he started dipping his toe a little bit into AOS, but he's kind of admitted like, listen, I'm going to school and trying to produce a weekly 40K series. I don't know if I have time to do a, 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 a Sigmar series as well. Yeah, well, plus the level of research has to go into that, especially if he's, as you say, it's got to be ridiculous. And again, yeah, I like him for the same reason I like, you know, Loremaster of Sotek in that when he talks about something, he's talking about like he's in the universe. You're not going to get these out-of-universe references that kind of break the immersion of continuity. 
Yeah, I mean, oh, uh, I do know someone who does something like that. Um, I mean, again, he's a, over a million subscribers, so I'm not going to really promote him here. But ShoddyCast is a YouTuber who does something very similar, but for Fallout. Like, he has a character called, like, um, the Story Keeper or something like that, that he has videos of, the sto of this guy just telling lore to people at, like, campsites and stuff. So it's an in-universe character explaining Fallout lore. Yeah, no, that's a lot. How he does it? Like I said, I have learned, I have gained new appreciation for factions I didn't like. I learned about factions I still don't like, but now I know about them. <laughs> still do not like the Dark Angels. Promptly fuck off. <laughs> yeah, so no, if you want, if like you're listening, like, wow, Oryx sure talks about this Warhammer 40k a lot. I want to know more. Go check out Tactical Imperialis and ignore anyone that tells you Arch is a good lore guy because he gets his lore wrong, even. Well, at least everyone knows where you stand. Like, Warhammer's your your jazz. So Yeah. Alright, well, uh I so I had a hard time the second thing. I, I actually did find a second and third thing if we get to it, but uh I wanna say that I, so I was looking through all my subscriptions, looking for things that had less than five hundred thousand views, and Potholer had the lowest amount uh, or subscriptions, but Potholer had the lowest amount of subscriptions subscribe to. You know what the second lowest was? Dungeons mm. and Dragons. Like, like the official the official Wizards of the Coast Dungeons and Dragons has only uh, two hundred thousand subscribers, and I was like, "How? How?" Yeah, considering maybe it's because everyone and their mother's uncle has a D and D channel. Yeah, but that's what surprised me because I know there are like, D and D channels with a lot more subscribers than that, and I was like, "How is the official one so low comparatively?" And the official oh. one is what some um, uh, dice camera action, which is my favorite, like group to watch which is the again official wizards of the coast with um pro jared uh, you know, commander holly nate wants to battle and i never remember anna's last name but and it's uh that's been going on for you know two or three years at this point but i just i wanted to mention that yeah the official dungeons page is actually fits our 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 description our our requirements and that really surprised me that's a head trip oh so real quick i found out you know who one of your favorite celebrities just started a D and D company? You know who? Um, one of my favorite celebrities. Um, like, what, well, he's he's in one of your favorite movies. That. Uh, oh, um, Matthew Lillard, I know, has been a big D and D guy for years. Yeah, I just found that out recently. He's launching like a huge D and D campaign book or something. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. He's had a lot of stuff to do a lot of D&D stuff in the past. He was a guest star on Dice Camera Action as a tabaxi ranger named Bag of Nails. And I love that character. <laughs> yeah, I found that out recently. I was totally surprised. Also, I saw a post today that pissed me off because it was like, screw Gemini, we're switching to 5th edition D&D uh, &D characters or D&D &D classes. I'm like, oh, cool. I can finally ditch my lame-ass one. And I got a fucking monk. I'm like, god damn it! <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What? I'm sorry. What, what are you talking about? There was a post I saw on Facebook today that was said, "Screw the Gemini symbols. Oh, we're switching oh, okay, to." Okay, sorry. The fact that you said Gemini specifically, you're talking about like a horoscope. So instead of using horoscope, you're you're saying what your your class is. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting all twisted. Yeah, and I got stuck with a monk. I was like, "God damn it! Uh, I don't want to well, be a monk." Okay. In all fairness, a monk is awesome, but definitely not get the upset. So. <laughs> yeah. No, you got uh You were a hey, warrior. You can be. Uh, a fighter would be the the case, but um, so yeah. you could be a uh, you could be a path of the Kensei monk who has armor, uses weapons appropriately, and stuff. 
<laughs> that doesn't sound like when I think monk, I'm thinking Shaolin. That would and be. I know that's um, probably all wrong for what D and D has, but no, no, no. Shaolin monks would fit into several of the monk paths. Most of the path of the open palm uh, is definitely the go-to Shaolin monk. I'm just saying that there is a monk that I think you would like, which is Path of the Kensei. So sounds like jibber jabber to me, but well, Kensei so is, is D and D. Uh, well, Kensei is a type of, I think, Japanese um, warrior that usually wielded a ridiculous oversized weapon and actual full armor. Think of like a shogun in your head, and that's... So it sounds it. like D&D wanted to call the anime crowd and said, Hey, kids, you can be a samurai. Um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> that description you're giving me. Well, okay, but there's a difference between... As someone who plays For Honor, there's a difference between a... I'm anime weeb samurai and like a shogun so like an anime weeb yeah, samurai would be like hair <laughs> well i'm saying an anime weeb samurai would be like the orochi who's wielding who's wearing like very you know light plate and just wielding a katana um but a shogun i'm thinking more like think like your your big like dude with like the big like kind of flat plates on the shoulders and maybe wielding like a good club kind of thing it's not anyway not the point <laughs> D, D has critically unsubscribed how is this a thing? I have no idea, especially considering they, um, you know, stream. I know that I think is Critical Role the most popular D and D stream. I'm not. I'm ninety nine percent certain they are. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I love Critical Role. Uh, I mean, when you get a bunch of voice actors together, that's just a brilliant idea. But yeah, if you're into to D and D podcasts or not podcasts, uh, streaming, then Dice Camera Action is really good, especially the fact that it's the official one like really neat and it's funny you would think that the official one the dm would be a real a rules lawyer but he's not he's actually very laid back well, but he's no one likes rules lawyers they make they take the fun out of the game yeah agreed so anyway i don't really know what else to say about it. the dungeon dragons page has a few other things going on like dragon talk where it's like kind of like a, a interview podcast thing where they just bring on people and talk you know D D related stuff they've got uh what was this girl's guts and glory, which I actually don't know anything about, but it's just a great name. So I'm uh, still stuck on the fact that wizards of the, like, do they upload trailers for new D and D stuff? I don't know if they do trailers. I don't really know what wizards of the coast does. D and D tends to, what's the coast historically from what I know has released their D and D stuff, not in trailer form, but in like, Oh, we're at a convention and we're going to have a, you know, get on stage and talk about what's coming out, or they'll do. Oh, I got it. Like They're behind the curve in the whole. So, right. well, that's what I'm saying. Is like I think um, Dice Camera Action was a great way for me to like learn about. You know, because they'll say, "Hey, we're going to this convention next week where we're going to do a live Dice Camera Action, and we're gonna uh, they're gonna reveal you know this thing that's coming out." Or they'll even say, "Like, hey, we just released a new I don't know, crop a Ravencroft uh, thing, and we're gonna do it on the on the stream." So uh, still, I think it's like the biggest thing like the community of Warhammer has liked is that Games Workshop has not only embraced social media, but they've gotten incredibly memey about it. Like one of the jokes for AOS was that they just keep, you know, making up factions whenever they want. So they did a joke where they really try like, hey, we're releasing, you know, this new faction. And someone said, you know, every time there's a problem, you just can't create a new faction. And the god of the universe said, the hell I can't! <laughs> Which was this great, they just leaned into the Mimi curve and it's like, I, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, uh, Wizards of the Coast. Embrace the memes, embrace the social media, 
it's the way of the future, whether you like it or not. Trust me, I don't like it, but you're <laughs> yeah, gonna get I, more people. I, mean, I don't have I don't have much else to say about it. Like um, I'm just kind of hooked on the fact that Wizards of the Coast is so underrepresented in the greater YouTube. Well, I, I, I would bet that Wizards of the Coast has I haven't checked, but I bet they have like probably other channels related to their other material. Magic: The Gathering. I wouldn't be surprised if that one's really well subscribed. But the Dungeons Ew, and Dragons. I imagine like you do trailers for the new book. You do. Like create a lore series. I know D and D has the lore, and I know there are people like me that be like, "Oh, a D and D lore channel. I'll, I'll sink eighty hours a week into that." That is true. I mean, there is there are like books and books, and not just you know rules books, but actual like narrative books. I mean, I I'm sure that there are some great series of Drix or Driz. I can't pronounce his name properly, but he's basically like the Captain America of D and D lore. So I'm surprised that you know don't see it on the actual Dungeons and Dragons page. Yeah. Uh, Wizards of the Coast, we have ideas if you want to buy them. <laughs> uh, go on. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's move into our suggestions of the week. And real quick, I'm going to talk about why I didn't do Outlaw King as a suggestion of the week. Namely because I don't have that much to say about it. It was just okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, now on to my real suggestion of the week. Possibly one of the worst named podcasts I've ever come across. But it lets you know what you're in for. Uh, hot takes with Billy Biz. All right. Um, I know you have no idea who he is because no you idea. don't watch. Hmm? No idea. <laughs> yeah. You don't watch uh, Screen Junkies outside of Honest Trailer. Yeah, pretty much. But if you are a fan of any of the other stuff to do, you know, Screen Junkies, News, any of that stuff, he is a producer on that show and movie fights even. And he is kind of well known for two things. One, having controversial opinions, and two, being the bastard son of David Harbour. Oh, really? That's cool. <laughs> look it up, you'll get the joke. Oh. Or look him up, you'll get the joke. Oh, uh, okay. Well, go on. Anyways, so he got the ideas like, hey, I have all these, you know, different opinions from people. What if I made a podcast about it? And it's really entertaining because it's not him vehemently defending why he likes these things. It's more him going, you know, I think Speed Racer is a good movie. Or, hey, I thought that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot was a good reboot. Or, <laughs> hey, yeah, I was like, I can't follow you on this one. I can, I can but... follow defending Speed Racer. I can't follow defending Michael Bay Turtles, no. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you lost me. But then he came back with, hey, I don't get not the obsession with Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm like, you're my man. Yeah. And no, he's already said he's not going to keep stretching this out into Infinitum. He's got a handful of topics he wants to talk about. He brings on guests to, you know, talk about why he thinks the way he did. I mean, he had a really great, insightful one about X-Men Last Stand and how... He didn't think he didn't get the hatred, but he had a huge X-Men fan on there. It was like, okay, well, this is why some people didn't like it. And they had this really great discussion going back and forth that kind of ended them going, okay, I see where you're coming from and you see where I'm coming from. It was a calm, reasonable discussion on the internet. Love it. By the way, I, I will say that uh, if you take out all the Dark Phoenix stuff, you've got a pretty good movie. It's just the Dark Phoenix kind of really There anyway. was two movies when there should have been one. So yeah, he's on all the things, including YouTube. Uh, check him out. All right, all right. Uh, I was playing the, uh, a game called Darkest Dungeon. Now, they've talked it? about this a lot on the co-optional podcast. Like, they're all big fans of it. Yeah, I, I got it originally, like, 
a year ago uh, when a friend of mine was really into it. I tried to, I couldn't figure it out. I only put like, you know, 40 minutes into it. And then um, I was bored on, I think, Sunday night or something like that. And I was like, all right, let's let's do something that uh, I didn't have access to the TV because shy uh, something was, I don't know. I didn't have access. But I was like, all right, let's try it out. And I just started from the beginning. And once I figured out how the game works, I got past the learning curve. I was hooked. This game is addictive as hell. And it's got that... um. It's got that XCOM quality where you can rename all heroes, so you just name them to like. Well, yeah, I know Total Biscuit was a huge fan of it, but kind of you know, give a quick rundown for those at home. Yeah, yeah. So Darkest Dungeon is a, it's a dungeon crawl kind of, but it's also turn based and grid based. So the the plot line is that you've inherited this estate essentially, but the estate has these like dungeons and stuff underneath it, particularly one called darkest dungeon where some crazy creepy stuff is going on so you hire people uh heroes what do you want to call them but you hire heroes to go on expeditions into the uh dungeon so you can have a barracks full of, i think yeah it's 28 heroes that you can have total but an expedition has four so you you know create a team of four you go in and then you you control them you move through the dungeon avoiding traps you get into battles and when you're in battle it's um, eight grid slots, one for you and or four for you and four for the enemy. And where your hero is positioned affects what moves they can do and who they can hit on the other side. Uh, all this is pretty standard stuff. But what's what's very interesting, especially about Darkest Dungeon, is that in addition to health, you also have a sanity meter because this whole thing is very Lovecraftian. Um, so if your sanity hits two hundred, the character will have a heart attack and die. But if it hits just 100, then they will get an affliction, something like paranoid or abusive. And by the end of the dungeon, or if you have to leave, that affliction will turn into a, uh, can turn into a negative quirk, like kleptomania. And what that does mechanically is, let's say you've got a character that gets 100, san- uh, 100 sanity, um, gets abusive, and then turns it into, um, we'll say, known cheat or cheater, right? Now... Uh, normally, when you go to town, you can send your heroes to things like the tavern or the church to reduce their stress. So one of the things you could do at the tavern is gamble. But if he has the negative quirk of cheater, then he's not he can't gamble. So that's one thing that you now cannot do with that character to relieve stress. And you've got to manage that across all 28 of your heroes. And it it's it's really fascinating like become because they get these quirks they become very much their own characters with their own personalities that are built in mechanically and of course like um i have uh, my b team has a hellion who is basically a, a barbarian girl with a that i named slagathor and a bounty and a bounty hunter who is this like viking looking dude with an axe and a hook that i named ulrich so i would have a hook actually i'd have a blunt i'd have a hammer for but I understand that's not an option. Uh, there are well, so the man at arms has a and the hound master a blackjack and a dog. So there are some blunt options. Well, I'm just saying a hook feels too precise for me. Well, the hook is the hook was only used in the one attack where you um, grab someone in the back row and pull them in the front row. I think it's called come come hither is the attack. But, come on, uh, we all know it was get over here. Yeah, obviously. But, <laughs> Uh, also, the game is really hard. Like, yeah, I I got like four hours into it, and I 
going to basic like level one dungeons that I wouldn't be able to finish that I'd have to escape because your characters have permadeath again, just like XCOM. So I lost a few characters and then I realized that no, if I reach a point in the dungeon where I still have like, you know, a third of the dungeon left and my character's getting low, just abandon the quest because you can still cape all the treasure you found at the time. You just don't complete the quest. So you don't get the quest reward, but you can still like progress with upgrading your town, upgrading your heroes and stuff, even if you don't actually complete a whole quest. So, yeah, no, uh, TV was one of his favorite games to talk about on the po- on the co-optional podcast, and that's why I first heard about him. Like, man, this game sounds insane. Yeah, I just um, I had it on PC, so I went out and got the uh, Ascension or the Ancestors version on Switch, which has all DLC. So the the controls with the Joy Cons are a little weird because this is a game made for PC. But once you get over it, like it is a great game. Like that's the kind of game made for experience because it's turn based and how it works. So. Now you can play XCOM. It's eighty percent <laughs> off this weekend. Uh, that's actually a good argument. Might look, but anyway. So that's my first suggestion. But Darkest Dungeon is going to take like you know hundred hours of your life. So something that won't take as much, but it's also really interesting. Is um, I watched Cobra Kai. Last <laughs> I am still baffled by this. It is so good. Like that's I can't... what I've heard. I haven't seen it yet, but the YouTube is trying to produce TV. Yeah, and most of it is garbage, but yeah, God is really good. Like, well, let's let's break that down. The sequel series to the Karate Kid on YouTube is decent. Uh, Actually, I no, sorry, sorry, is really good. Yeah, that is not I a mean, sentence that makes sense. Even just decent would have been like really impressive, but it's actually really good. For the, if anyone doesn't know how you would not have at least heard about it, I don't know. But so you know, back in nineteen eighty, was the Karate Kid movie. Um, awesome movie, holds up to yeah. this day. Correct. So Cobra Kai is a series that takes place 30 years after The Karate Kid. And uh, so Danny, uh, Daniel-san, Danny LaRusso, he's running an auto dealership successfully. He's leveraged his karate fame into it. So like his commercials have him like kicking the competition and stuff. Um, But he's not really the main character. He's in the show quite a bit and played by Ralph Macchio, who's also executive producer. He will make it happen. But the main character is um, actually Johnny... Uh, Law Lawson Lawson, I think. Um, Johnny Lawson, who was the uh, the bully in Karate Kid One, and you find out that his life is bad. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah. I thought that was an interesting choice to make. Like, oh, you lost did. a karate contest, and life is since. Well, he he fills that that um that stereotype of peaked in high school, and uh-huh. the the first thing I noticed about the show that I didn't is they don't try to make Johnny a good guy. Like, literally one of the first things he, he does, right, he he wakes up, goes out to throw his trash, and some, like, kid comes up to him, this kid Miguel, and he's like, hey, we just moved in next door, and Johnny's walking away, he goes, great, more immigrants. It's like, yeah. th- those three words tell you, oh, that's what kind of guy he is. So, um, <laughs> and... Bold they- choice there, YouTube! <laughs> Yeah, and they don't shy away from it. Like, but that's what's great is that he is this very nuanced character that the show is like, hey, they painted him as very, you know, we didn't get to see his side of it in Karate Kid. So now this is about like this is a real person. He's not a good person, but he's a person capable of good, right? So by the end of episode one, um, a series of events that I don't want to away because they're actually really, uh, he opens up. Uh, he's going to reopen Cobra Kai, the old dojo, and Daniel 
finds out about it and is is not he does not want to let that happen because he thinks Cobra Kai is like inherently bad and they basically you've got two over 50 year old men who cannot let go of their high school grudges against each other and which Where sounds really bad but it's really compelling and the show has great side characters like the kids that Johnny ends up training are all really really neat uh there's this one kid who has a a scar on his lip it's a I don't know, but everyone makes fun of him for it. They call him a freak and stuff. When he finally comes in, Johnny also makes fun of him. Basically, he's saying, like, hey, the rest of the world is not going to be polite to you, so you need to learn how to deal with this, right? And it's like a harsh lesson, but he's not wrong because people are making fun of him, and he's like, all right, got to be able to... The Tyrion quote from the first season of Game of Thrones. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. But he gives him an, an extra step. I will spoil this this one. Right, because he's like, "Here's what you need to do. You don't want people to call you lip. You need to flip the script. Then do something else that uh, gets their attention, that takes away from it. Uh, get a badass car. You know, do something like that. Right? And but he makes the kid cry, and, and the kid leaves. And then you think that, all right, it's over. And then the end of the episode, it's like the next day, and he walks in, and he is a mohawk that's like a foot tall and painted purple. And that'll do it. Yeah. And and Johnny's like, "Wait, are you the kid with the lip?" Ah, awesome hairdo. All right, get in the line, Hawk. And that's what they call him for the rest of the season. His na- his name is now Hawk, and he progressively becomes more psychotic. But uh, like he, t- he goes from this this wimpy like nerdy kid who's getting picked on for his facial deformity to this punker in like you know spikes with a mohawk who's throwing fucking like raisinets at people in the movie theater, drinking tons and like beating people up. It's like <laughs> it. it no, a, you're not pitching this well. Xenophobic teacher <laughs> creates street gang of teen alcoholics. Well, that's what's interesting is it's like, okay, all the people that you thought were just bullies in the original, they all could have been like this before these teachings, right? And so the, the season ends definitely built up to season two where we got to deal with the consequences of, okay, Johnny's teachings help these kids get confidence, help them overcome the problems in their life, but the downside of the style is teaching is also turning them into really shitty people. So it's like, and there's a great, the final fight in the season is the most emotionally nuanced and meaning deep fight I've ever seen. I, I don't know how to explain it, but there are these four characters involved in the emotional issue of what's going on in the fight, all with very different relationships to each of the three other characters, all being worked out in this one fight between two of them. And it was, it was mind blowing to see, huh? Like it's it, it is so good, <laughs> and I'm really too. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, um, yeah, you can only watch it on like YouTube with the YouTube Red subscription or something. But you can get a free month. So just saying, like, get the free month, watch it afterwards. I don't care what you do, but watch the show. It's ten episodes, each are about half an hour. It's really good. All right, odd pitch, odd show. It is very odd, but one of the things that makes it great is the negative attributes of these people. Even Danny, you know, Danielson has turned into a really douchey, not self-aware, like, I'm better than you kind of guy, and he has to get over himself throughout it. But, like, it's these real people, nuanced performances. So, oh, and one more thing about it. In episode one, they address the fact that the crane kick was an illegal move. <laughs> they straight up like the, uh, Johnny and Daniel are talking, and uh, and Daniel's like, "Oh yeah, I kicked him in the face." 
And Johnny's like, it was an illegal kick. And Dan's like, well, what about that elbow? And he goes, oh, yeah, I got a warning. You got the match. So, like, yeah. the show addresses it, which is just awesome. <laughs> well, get that one out of the way, because you're on YouTube, and otherwise the question will let you know. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, especially the share part, because as we've stated before, YouTube gives zero shits about us. So if you don't share it, nobody sees it. Yep. And uh, if you don't like the the YouTube algorithm, which we spent an entire episode here with people who don't like it, you can also find us on SoundCloud, right? I I'm I'm I have no problem selling the SoundCloud thing. Like I was uncomfortable pushing the the, the Patreon, so Orc can do that. But I'll push SoundCloud because I'd much rather us be there in general. And if you uh, if you like that too, I know I've got a few listeners who talk to me about like, hey, are you anywhere other than YouTube? I don't want to have to watch and stream the thing i really just download it yeah on soundcloud but until we get enough views to be considered legitimate quote unquote you know we can only have like two or three episodes up at a time so you know watch us there and the best part about soundcloud no commercials also true all right well be sure to tune in next time as always it's been lord commander Ulrich and his shield brother axel Wright. be sure to tune in next time and as always stay honorable